Harper speaking. Hello? Is anyone there? The net was closing. Georgie couldn't keep his mouth shut, and the police would be on to me next. No point in running. I'd seen people try. Only made things worse. But I didn't relish being arrested at work, dragged off in handcuffs with all the traders gawping. I liked my job. A hot little office with a line of phones, lost in the noise and excitement as we moved stocks of gold and tin and frozen orange juice all around the world. It wasn't a real place, more an extension of school, its own rules and traditions and uniforms. We all wore black suits, bowler hats and cane umbrellas by the stand at the door. But we went down the road to the commodities exchange itself. We donned the coloured waistcoats to show who we represented. Otherwise, plain white shirts and one-coloured ties, stripes reserved for senior management, so we wouldn't press old school connections on the traders' floor. We were all the same down there, judged only by our success. I should have walked out of them, never to return. But someone would have seen me leaving. There would have been awkward questions, by which time the police would have arrived. So, come in, Harper. Sorry, Mr. Flowers. Call from my mother, having a bit of a crisis. Hoped I could slip out for an hour. Mr. Flowers perused me from behind the wide desk. And the sweet smoke of his cigar. He didn't wear his jacket in the office, and his white shirt bulged beneath his scarlet braces. He sat back in his chair, smoking, talking on one of the three phones that took up so much of the desk. He whirled the cigar at me slowly, signalling that I should wait while he lectured whoever was on the line. Confidentiality is important to us. We know how to be discreet. All our staff have signed a contract. Whoever was on the other end of the line yabbered in his ear. Mr. Flowers listened patiently before responding. The whole point is that one unit of any given commodity is the same as another. What they call fungibility. You know, I love that word. He twisted round in his chair to look out on the dreary car park outside. I watched too, afraid I'd see a police car. Mr. Flowers was a good sort, really. Not a favourite teacher, but he played with a straight bat. I felt stupidly guilty for letting him down. But what I'd done, what the police had found out, I couldn't be part of this world any more. I started to say something th- that I had to get away, and my mouth dropped open. In the chair, in the suit, smoking the cigar. Mr. Flowers was no longer Mr. Flowers. His skin was dark and twisted, like the underside of a mushroom. I must have let out a gasp. He, this monstrous thing, looked round, staring up at me with glowing scarlet eyes, and he smiled. I'd watched, unable to help, as she aged to death before my eyes. We'd destroyed the Daleks, stopped them using the time destructor against the solar system, but we'd lost our friend in the process. Beside me, the Doctor gazed over the dust that had once been verdant jungle. Oh, what a waste! What a terrible waste! We made our way back into the TARDIS.
For a long time, the doctor stood at the controls of the TARDIS, not saying a word. I wanted to be angry with him. I wanted to shake him or yell at him or anything. We'd lost so many of our friends, Katerina, Brett, and now Sarah. But the doctor stood at the controls, unmoving. His hands hovered over the series of switches and levers. Lights twittered. The central column rose and fell, showing we were in flight. The doctor didn't move. Say something, please, I asked him. He looked round in surprise. But I didn't set the controls. The ship decided for itself. We were suddenly in danger. Where's it taking us? I asked. His expression stern, the doctor turned back to the controls. Hmm, we shall just have to see. The air was stale and dirty like the inside of a machine. We stepped out of the TARDIS into dreary rain. We'd landed in a yard, uneven brick slabs beneath our feet. All around us stood sorry relics of the past. I recognised some of the artefacts, the frame of an old-fashioned manual bed, bits of wooden furniture decaying in the rain. It must be an old recycling centre from before particle conversion. The doctor said nothing. Light glinted in his eyes. You know where we are, I said. He nodded, clutching his lapels as he looked around. Yes, we've been here before. I mean, I have. This is where it all began, where Ian and Barbara found us. Ian and Barbara. I only knew them briefly. They were travelling with the Doctor when I first met him. They were from Earth back in the 1960s, had stumbled in on the Doctor's secret and stumbled into his spaceship. And he'd kidnapped them, spirited them away in time and space, rather than let that secret out. They were good people, kind and intelligent, and soon broke through the Doctor's suspicion and fear. They'd even saved his life. He had promised to take them home again, but never quite managed to do it. He said he could never control where or when the TARDIS went, but I don't think he ever really tried. He was too fond of them both. When Ian and Barbara finally used the Dalek time machine to get home, the Doctor had been distraught. Not that he'd ever admit it. It's curious. All that time trying to get back to this spot. And then it brings us here when I least expect it. We could go and see them, I said. The Doctor's precarious control of the ship meant he could never normally catch up with those we'd left behind. The Doctor nodded sadly and turned back to the battered police box that was really a spaceship. Perhaps that's why we're here. A kindness after what we've lost. He reached out to pat the edge of the police box as if it were alive. I shouldn't get so attached to you young people. You're all gone so quickly. You'll be gone too soon enough, young man. Where do Ian and Barbara live? I asked, pulling him back from such morbid thoughts. The doctor shook his head crossly. How do you expect me to know a thing like that? Really, my boy, it's not credible. I knew he was just cross that this chance might be snatched away. There must be some way to find them. We could search for their names on a G-Link. The doctor smiled. <laughs> they won't have anything like that for a good few years yet. Perhaps they'll be in the phone book. We just need to find a phone box. Like the TARDIS? I asked. Of course not like the TARDIS. A phone box, not a police box. I should say they'll be on the high street. Come along then, Stephen. Don't dawdle. Sighing, I let the doctor lead me out of the junkyard and into a quiet lane. He stopped close to the gates behind us, on which were painted the words, I am Foreman, Scrap Merchant, 76 Totters Lane. We made our way down the lane, crowded on each side by small, close-packed buildings of pale yellow brick, houses just two or three storeys high. It seemed little changed since my last visit to London back in 1912. There were signs of 50 years of progress. More people had spectacles. There were fewer strange pinched faces where they were missing all their teeth. There were more and more sophisticated motor cars on the road, belching dark and toxic fumes. I instinctively wanted to cover my mouth and nose. 
A solitary winged craft high up in the sky left a solitary contrail behind it. I watched it, trying to gauge its height and size. It didn't look built for breaking orbit. People passed us on the street without a glance. The doctor, for all he was smart and peculiar, had an uncanny knack of blending in. He looked odd, he dressed oddly, yet he was also invisible. People were in too much of a rush anyway, keen to get out of the rain. At the end of the lane was a scarlet booth, the phone box the doctor had mentioned. It was skinnier than the TARDIS, with barely room for two people. And it clearly didn't have the trick of being bigger on the inside. The doors and sides were intercut with clear panels, so we could see the person in there talking loudly into the basic handheld receiver. We waited for the man to finish his transmission, the rain sopping down on us. The doctor tapped on the glass of the booth, but the man inside only turned away. I almost wanted to laugh, but the doctor glared up at me. And then something caught his eye. I turned to look. I'd travelled by omnibus the last time I was in London. I watched as people climbed down off the back step while a queue of new passengers tried to get aboard. It's just like my own type, I said to the doctor. It'd be quicker if they let people off first. The doctor nodded. Indeed. <laughs> and what do you make of that fellow, two from the back of the queue? I looked. The fellow, as the doctor had called him, wore the same black suit and rounded hat as many of the other men on the street. He carried a portable rain screen, which he reduced to a stick before getting on the bus. And in that moment, he looked round and saw us. Bright red eyes glowered back at us from a lumpy, mushroomy head. I don't know the species, I said. The doctor nodded. But not a human being. No, you're right. And they've not made contact. The doctor smiled. <laughs> they've not even been to the moon. Then there shouldn't be an alien here, I said. Not wondering about where just anyone can see him. He was grinning wickedly. The old goat loved the mystery. This was a far better tonic than meeting up with old friends. Come on, we need to find out what he's up to. We hurried across the road as fast as the doctor could manage, but we were too late. The bus pulled away before we could reach it. We stood in the empty waiting bay, catching our breath. Of course... It was my fault we missed him. Oh, you must try to keep up, Stephen. Who knows what mischief he'll make? But there was another bus coming towards us. It puttered to a stop, and we hurried round the back to climb aboard. A man in a uniform helped the doctor find a seat, then brandished a small, heavy machine in my face. You'd best ask the doctor, I said. The doctor fished in his pockets for metal tokens called coins, which he swapped with the man for some pink slips of paper from the small machine. As the bus made its way through ancient London, a thought occurred to me. But Doctor, no one else seemed to notice the alien. The Doctor considered. No, but perhaps they don't expect to. He must be using some device that plays on their assumptions. The bus continued on through the London streets. The buildings around us grew bigger and greyer, tall, functional slabs of ten or twenty storeys. This, the doctor explained, was the city. They were rebuilding it after some terrible war. Occasionally, we'd spot a gap between buildings like a missing tooth, rubble still strewn around. That's him, said the doctor suddenly. We were just in time to see a mushroom-faced creature in a black suit strolling down the street. The doctor hurried me to the back of the bus and we jumped down into the road whilst the bus was still moving. We ran to catch up with the alien, but the street was crowded with men in black suits and rounded hats, all carrying portable rain screens. More than once we found ourselves pursuing the wrong man and the doctor couldn't keep up. For all his quick wits, he was far older than he looked, perhaps many hundreds of years. There! There! He's going in there! Across the street, the mushroom-headed man ducked through the door of a building. We made our way over as quickly as we could. The sign on the door declared, Flowers, Trade and Investments. 
We went through into a wide reception area of gleaming black and white marble. Can I help you? asked the middle-aged woman behind the desk. The doctor smiled his most disarming smile, a twinkle in his eye. The woman couldn't help herself and smiled back. My dear, we saw a man in a suit just come through here. We think he dropped this. He reached into his pocket, withdrew a slim leather wallet and flapped it in front of her. Oh, of course, sir, but we have so many people passing through here. Can you tell me what this man looked like? I turned at the sound. A door had opened and a nervous young man in a black suit hurried out. He didn't glance our way and his head was human. Stephen, pay attention. She needs to know what our man looked like. He looked like some kind of mushroom, I said. The woman smiled patiently at me. I'd assumed if the alien worked here that she'd be in on his secret. Evidently not. The doctor tried to intercede. What my friend meant to say... Excuse me, did you say he looked like a mushroom? The nervous young man gazed at us intently. I'd seen the signs of shock before. You've seen something? Uh, look, I'm just on my way out. Got a rather urgent appointment. Please, this is important. Is there somewhere we can talk? We'll believe you. All right. Come with me. Aliens? The doctor chewed on a slice of buttered toast and smiled. You think they're something else? The young man, Oliver Harper, sipped his tea and kept an eye on the door of the cafe. He told us that no one from his work would come in here, yet he still seemed nervous talking to us. All right, you've got me. But what do they want here? I came out of Mr. Flower's office, and there were dozens of these chaps. The whole company's been invaded. Perhaps that's it. What does the company do? We're on the commodities market. Anything you like. Metals and olive oil and frozen orange juice. Anywhere in the world. You mean you ship cargo? Not me, personally. We make the deals, agree the prices. Some outfit does the heavy lifting. The doctor continued to brood. Trade happens all across the cosmos, but if this is an alien concern, it's either offering something for sale to the Earth or intent on taking something away. But other planets must have their own metal and things. What's special about the Earth? That's a good question, my boy, perhaps. That's why you saw through their disguises. You use your brain a little better than most people here. That's very good. What are we going to do? Do we have to do anything? What? Well, if it's just trade, are they doing anything wrong? The doctor patted my shoulder. Uh, Good point, Stephen. He's right. We can't interfere in the normal workings of the market, but let's be sure it is normal. Stephen, go with Oliver to see this trader's floor. See what's being sold and how. But I can't. I said I had this urgent appointment. Of course you do. But this won't take you long. And you want to know what's happening just as much as we do. All right, but only if we do this quickly. We'll go back to the office and kit you out. And it's a short walk to the exchange. Thank you. Will you stay here, Doctor, until I get back? The Doctor shook his head. Again, I saw that twinkle in his eyes. The Doctor in his element. I'm going to see this Mr. Flowers. I think we could have a very interesting conversation. The receptionist seemed surprised to see us again, and more surprised when we didn't stop at her desk. It's all right, Mabel, they're with me. We stood in the confined space of the lift as it made its way to the second floor. The box trembled as it rose up through the building. It didn't feel very safe. This is us. Doctor, you want the fifth floor. Mr. Flowers is at the end of the corridor. And without a word, the doctor was gone. He should be all right. Mr. Flowers is a good sort, really, even if he is from outer space. So, now we need to sort you out. What's wrong with me? Old man, you can't go out dressed like that, can you? I'd had to dress up the last time I was in London, and I hadn't enjoyed it then either. Oliver took me to a wardrobe of spare black suits and found one roughly in my size. The striped waistcoat was in the colours of flowers, trade and investments. 
Oliver had to help me with the tie. He also seemed worried about my hair. I think that will do. You scrub up well enough. I feel ridiculous. You have to act the part. Stand up straight. Puff your chest out. Like your people own half of Cornwall. Now, repeat after me. There are only three sports. Do I have to? Yes. There are only three sports. Hunting, shooting and fishing. Hunting, shooting and fishing. Anything else is merely a pastime. Anything else is merely a pastime. Can we go now? Almost there. You're bowler. And there's this. But it's not raining anymore. You don't go into battle without your sword. I tried to follow Oliver's lead, striding down the street with such a confident air. The rain screen, the umbrella, was vital to the act. He used it as a walking stick, tapping the tip against the ground with every other step. But the way he did it, the flourish, the swagger. We were both dressed identically in those stupid clothes, yet he had the manner of a king, with me, the clumsy servant, hurrying to keep up. Whatever I was feeling, I must have looked the part. Guards in coloured livery bowed curtly as we passed. And then we were inside... The Commodities Exchange. The noise of it. The confusion. I stood in awe, watching the scrum of men in suits. My collar and tie tightened round my neck as my jaw dropped open. We were in a huge, echoing hall, packed full of people. There were regular posts and stalls with notices from which a thousand men in dark suits called to one another. They scratched deals on slips of paper and into notebooks. They held earnest discussions, some threw needle-tight paper darts into the melee. You could feel the force of energy of these simple, polite transactions, the engine of the world of trade. It takes a while to get used to, but you don't need to know your stock jobbers from your brokers. Each item has its place on the floor. That's copper. That's cattle, I think. Look, those two are agreeing a deal. See? They're shaking hands. It's all done with paper tickets. Oh, no. By verbal agreement. A gentleman's word is as good as any bond. And we're all under specific contracts as to what we can and can't agree. There's one of the aliens. He's got a special hat. A top hat, that's all. Oh, yes, I wore one like that when I was here before. There's another alien by that stall. That one. He's a clerk. There are so many of them. And only we can see them. Let's find out what they're selling. We made our way through the throng of suits to where one alien had his pitch. It was difficult not to stare. Up close, his face was much more than a mushroom. It looked wormy and burnt, like the by-product of some crude industrial process. Eyes like burning amber flickered from deep inside his skull as he turned to face us. What are you offering, old man? Prime cattle. Exclusive stock. £909 per unit. What? For cattle? And you've got to guarantee conditions on how they're fed and watered. Not for everyone. Exclusive stock, if you understand me. To my horror, I did understand him. But surely it was too dreadful to be true. I had to know for certain but couldn't reveal my ignorance by asking, so I tried to think what the doctor might have done in my place. I'd like 20 units. What? 20 to begin with, but I need to know more about the stock before I can commit. Quality assured, sir. If you don't mind my saying, you're not a local boy, are you? Hmm, you noticed. As you noticed me, sir. As I really am. You know we can see you. The disguise is so you don't panic the locals. But apart from that, you don't have anything to hide, do you? We're all perfectly legal. But? But some people get quite emotive about the livestock. Emotive? They don't seem to appreciate that this planet is rich in the assets. Such a waste not to exploit it. Livestock? Like cattle? Of the human variety. What? That's why you hide it from the locals, isn't that right? Sir is of course correct. 
You're dealing in slaves. Slave is such a loaded word. But human slaves. We'll stop you. Somehow we'll stop you. This is why we have to wear disguises. The locals are so backward. He's right. We're going to stop you. You agree with him? That is a shame. Now I'll have to shoot you both. What? Stephen, run! While Oliver and I were being shot at, the Doctor was on the fifth floor of Flowers Trade and Investments. Later, much later, when we'd learned Oliver's secret, he told me what had happened. Come in. The Doctor went in. Mr. Flowers sat back in his chair behind the desk, scarlet eyes peering through a cloud of cigar smoke. The doctor began to explain the story he'd rehearsed, that he had a modest fortune and was looking to invest. Mr. Flowers waved him to the chair on the other side of the desk. Then he stubbed out his cigar. What are you? asked Mr. Flowers. Whatever you are, you're not from this planet. The doctor nodded. Uh, You can see me for what I am. I am the Doctor. And you're some kind of fulgurite, aren't you? Living glass, trading in stocks and shares. In commodities? And where's the harm in that? Ours is just one of a number of companies investing in the Earth. They need us here. Their banks are still struggling to make good after their world's war. If it wasn't for us... The government would have to issue consuls or perpetual bonds. The doctor conceded the point. So, their government knows you're here? Certain members of the parliament know exactly what we are. The rest think we're an alien business in the more parochial sense. As if we're from Hong Kong. But isn't that the definition of fair trade? The doctor smiled. Oh, I'm sure you're being overly modest. As you say... They're so very parochial. Hmm. I can't imagine how you agreed a contract. You underestimate them, Doctor. The human leaders could see the mutual advantage, and we were happy to answer their concerns. For example, we've made certain undertakings about how we treat our people here in London. The Doctor's eyes narrowed. You mean your employees? Our employees sign contracts of their own volition. However... This planet is also rich in natural resources. We've been here for centuries, but the boom in population since their last big war, they were practically giving their people away. And you offered them a good price. We're not breaking any laws. Section 6 of the Interplanetary Trade and Securities Act clearly states that... Legitimate governments may define as assets their holdings, intellectual and cultural properties, and their population. And do the government here really understand what they have agreed to? They keep a very close eye on us. We work well within the law, and we're quite open to scrutiny, of course. The minister is due here later this afternoon. The doctor regarded him coolly. Perhaps I might be given a tour as well, as a potential investor. Hmm? But of course. Come on, you'll see we run a smooth operation. There's no cause for any concern. Oliver, look out! Stephen, I'm all right, but we have to get everyone out of here. They can't see what's doing this. He was right. The traders milled around in panic and confusion, not able to see who was attacking them. The aliens ran between them, brandishing their umbrellas, which fired searing beams of light. Oliver and I ducked behind the stand offering deals on petroleum just as it exploded above our heads. One of the aliens shoved his way past two men in top hats who didn't seem to see him as they fell over one another. The alien laughed, his searing red eyes on me and Oliver as he aimed his umbrella. We've got to get out of here. They're between us and the door. If only everyone else could see them. Hey. Hey. There are aliens shooting at you. Can't you see them? We dodged left and right between the traders. Our only hope was that apart from us two, the aliens didn't want to kill anyone else. 
I skidded round the tall man just as an explosion swiped the bowler hat from his head. He thought I must have done it and rounded on me. You young ruffian! But Oliver grabbed my arm and dragged me away. Sorry, sir. I'll escort him out. Aliens lurked in two of the exits, trying to aim their umbrellas for the perfect shot. We swung round and Oliver spotted another doorway. We hurled ourselves towards it and slammed into two men coming the other way. Oh! So sorry, sir. Please excuse us. Oh. Doctor! You know these humans? The doctor glared at me. What have you two done? They're selling human beings. Doctor, they have to be stopped. But it's a fully legal trade. Whatever it takes, we'll stop you. I see. You heard that? Beside him, slowly, the doctor nodded. There was a haunted look in his eyes, the same look he'd had on Kemble when we lost Sarah. You know I'm entitled to protect my business. And the extent to which I can protect it. The doctor nodded. He held my gaze with those piercing dark eyes. My insides were turning over. But I have a suggestion. These two are both resourceful. You could put that to good use. What? You're selling us out? He wouldn't. Doctor, you can't. The doctor almost snarled at me. I'm saving your life. You blundered in here under false pretenses. You made a distinct threat. Mr. Flowers has galactic law on his side, huh? He can have you obliterated to constituent atoms. But it's more worth his while to let you live. But you can't. You can't. I held the doctor's gaze. I knew he wasn't joking. We'd been clumsy. We'd got ourselves caught. And there was nothing he could do. I'm sorry. His expression changed. And I saw such awful sadness. Remember what I told you. You'll be gone soon enough. Now that time has come. false pretenses. You made a distinct threat. Mr. Flowers has galactic law on his side, huh? He can have you obliterated to constituent atoms. But it's more worth his while to let you live. But you can't. You can't. I held the doctor's gaze. I knew he wasn't joking. We'd been clumsy. We'd got ourselves caught. And there was nothing he could do. I'm sorry. His expression changed. And I saw such awful sadness. Remember what I told you. You'll be gone soon enough. Now that time has come. On the floor of the commodities exchange, Oliver and I were prisoners of the Fulgurites. Pinioned by their strong alien arms, we were led across the floor between the traders to where more Fulgurites were waiting, ready to take us away. They'll be added to the next consignment. You'll be building a new hypothetics chamber on Andor Valtor 12. They stood just in front of a line of pillars, around what I recognized as a transmat station. Another few minutes and they'd spirit us away to some space liner or cargo ship where we'd never be heard of again, and not even the doctor could help us. He ignored our protest. I'd never seen him like this. He wouldn't even meet my eye. Instead, he kept quoting galactic law and going on about binding contracts. He'd lost so many people close to him recently that he just accepted losing me. The other traders, at least a thousand men, all in the same black suits, could not even see or hear us. You're selling us out! You're selling out humanity! Mr. Flowers shrugged. It's good for your economy. The Commonwealth would collapse without it. 
Think of it as an extension of national service. They ended national service. And it's been a great loss to the nation. You've seen the young people outside, listening to music, not cutting their hair. The doctor seemed to agree with him. They gave the Beatles MBEs. And then he winked at me. His comment made two traders look round from their negotiation. For a moment, I thought I caught their eye. Then they were staring right through me and the Fulgurites again, as if we'd never been there. I glanced at Oliver, but he hadn't seen. He was still desperately trying to persuade the doctor. But it's slavery. We got rid of the slave trade. The doctor, to Mr. Flower's delight, began to explain the legal precedent for different kinds of indenture and the contract law that existed in space. I knew a little galactic law, but not enough to argue, and the Doctor had winked at me. He'd mentioned the Beatles, and then... It's the 1960s! Oliver and Mr. Flowers both looked at me as if I were mad. The Doctor smiled thinly. But don't you see? It's the time of the Beatles! Stephen, what are you talking about? Well, you must know the Beatles. They were very famous in this time. Well, yes, I know who you mean. There's the one that goes... I knew the tune from the Peace Galas on Venus. I'm sure it was by the Beatles. Oliver only gazed baffled at me, as did the Fulgurites. But the Doctor's eyes shone with triumph as some of the traders looked round. Oliver, help me! For a moment, the traders looked through us, but I could see it on their faces. They could hear the tune. I persevered. I'm not the greatest musician, and my humming was disjointed, but they picked up the simple melody, began humming it themselves, and I saw the change in their eyes as they saw me. A prisoner of the alien Fulgurites. It's a stampede. It'll damage the livestock. What did you do? Gave them something to focus on. Something strange, but with which they're familiar. Doctor, come on! But the doctor remained where he was, stood with Mr. Flowers. You young idiots! They're not breaking any laws, whatever we might think. I'm sure this has all been agreed at the local level by the appropriate minister. He winked at me just for a second, so I wasn't sure I'd seen it. But no, I understood what he wanted me to do. We had to get away. Oliver, come on! Shut all the exits. Don't let them get out. We've got to calm them down. In the chaos, we slipped from the Fulgurites and made our way back across the floor. Mr. Flowers tried to shout above the din to calm the traders down. The Fulgurites dithered, not knowing what to do. Some tried to hide their mushroomy heads in their mushroomy hands. What's that? They're locking the doors. Keeping everyone penned inside. We've got to get out before they trap us in here. But what about everyone else? The doctor knows what he's doing. He wants us to escape. But why? He said all this was perfectly legal. There's something we have to do. Wait, through here. We skidded through a doorway and slammed the doors behind us, plunging us in sudden darkness. I fumbled to lock the door securely, a narrow gap between the doors, letting me see back into the exchange. Fulgurites hurried towards us. Come on, we've got to go. No, wait, something's happening. Far across the floor, I could see Mr. Flowers and the doctor stood calmly amid the chaos. Mr. Flowers adjusted a switch on his wristwatch. Then he curtly raised his umbrella. Thank you, gentlemen. You're all a little concerned. You think the exchange has been invaded. Well, I'm here to tell you that's not the case. There's nothing here to harm you. The two people who caused all the commotion, put them out of your minds. Don't think of them at all. You feel calm and relaxed. It's been a quiet day's trading. You're feeling a little tired, might even have nodded off. Let's just hope nobody noticed. Now get back to work!
Behind Mr. Flowers, the doctor tutted. You don't really think that will work? Hmm? They'll remember soon enough. Flowers didn't even glance back. It will work long enough to put the exchange back in order. Then we'll ship them all out as the next consignment. Now, Doctor, let's continue the tour. The Fulgurites smashed at the door with their fists and umbrellas. The lock would not hold long. Oliver led me away, zigzagging through the building, until at last we emerged into drizzly grey daylight. No one else got out. We don't know that. And there's nothing we can do for them here, but come on. Where to? Who can help us now? Didn't you hear the doctor? He said it had to be agreed by the appropriate minister. Oh! We leapt on a bus and then made slow, frustrating progress out of the city and along the Strand. I marvelled at the people in their bright coloured clothes going about ordinary lives, oblivious to the aliens selling them into slavery. The bus made its way past Trafalgar Square and onto Whitehall, the buildings just the same as in my own time, but not hidden behind thick, protective glass. I got up as we came in sight of the dark edifice of the Palace of Westminster, Big Ben striking the hour. I'd assumed from what little I knew of history that this was where we'd find what we needed, but Oliver stopped me. Instead, we stayed on the bus as it turned off Parliament Square and onto the street leading to Victoria Station. Halfway up the street, Oliver tinged the bell. All right, but will he even see us? If we act the part, come on. Following my lead, we strode up the pavement, swaggering our umbrellas as Oliver had taught me before. Heads raised, chests puffed out, we marched right into the Ministry for trade and export. The doctor laughed when I told him about that later. He, meanwhile, had spent his time in an office at the Exchange, bent over a very long document of closely set type. With wire spectacles perched on his nose, he'd paused over a particular clause. Um, this word, do you know what it means? Mr. Flowers peered over and grinned. <laughs> it's one of my favourites. Fungibility. It means any unit of a commodity is the same as another. You buy a barrel of oil or a metric ton of steel from a dealer, but it doesn't matter which specific barrel or ton you take from his stock. For the purposes of our contract, one adult human is as good as any other. We don't discriminate by age or sex or race so long as the unit is healthy and in working condition. You mean, uh, in a condition to work? Fungibility guards against some of the less savoury ways in which the government might choose who to send. As I said, we're keen to do everything possible to ensure that the trade is fair. But uh, I still don't understand how the units are chosen. Geographic areas are agreed, and then a percentage of the population transmatted from each area by random sample. The quality of each unit is judged before the cargo ships leave orbit. The doctor stared at him. And uh, what happens to those who fail the quality test? Hmm? They return to Earth and another sample taken. We try to wipe their minds of any unsettling experience. But the condition doesn't always hold. I see. And uh, these places you take them from, they're all over the country? Huh? The whole Commonwealth is included. It has to be fair. There are some exceptions. Hospitals, key workers, those who are assets in themselves. The doctor nodded to himself. Well, yes, I think I'm uh, finished here. I wouldn't mind if I may uh, uh, look at your transmat machinery, which I think is in the main hall. Why? What's wrong with that? <laughs> nothing, nothing, my boy, nothing, I'm sure. This is all simply ingenious. Mr. Flowers and the Doctor emerged onto the floor of the Commodities Exchange to find a cohort of Fulgurites waiting, looking nervous. What is it? What of you? He fell silent when he saw the three humans in suits waiting patiently behind the Fulgurites. Oliver and I had returned from our errand, and with us, we'd brought... Doctor, 
Meet Sir Richard Christie, the minister. Sir Richard Christie was a tall, bald man who amply filled his pinstripe suit. We'd explained that an alien company was selling British subjects into slavery and claiming they had the government's consent. Christie listened to our story and admitted that he'd had suspicions of something going on. He agreed to come with us to see for himself. We hadn't said alien meant extraterrestrial, rather just foreign. Now the minister stood there, tall and furious, gazing at the mushroom-headed creatures. As he stared at them, the earnest trading continued. The men in suits we'd last seen screaming and shouting were once more lost in their deals. They scrawled furiously in notebooks and worked out complex sums with hardly a thought. You could see the gleam of intelligence in their eyes, the expert concentration. A pool like this, an organic computer, perhaps even more efficient than the ones from my own time. I could see why human beings might be of such value. We've told the minister what you're doing, Mr. Flowers. What is really on sale? I'm sure that came as an awful shock. We had made a terrible mistake. Mr. Flowers was smiling at us. His mushroomy head had split open to reveal black and shining teeth. But Sir Richard, Sir Richard, you said you'd come here with us to put a stop to... Anything untoward? You brought us back so we couldn't cause any trouble. Fulgurite stepped forward to grab Oliver and me by the arms. We were pinioned tight. Now look here. Let me go. I did enough fagging at school. The minister spelt out the facts with grim resignation. Britain's coffers were bare. The war had almost left the country bankrupt, and then they'd had to surrender the empire. The city needed investment if it was going to survive. You see, Doctor, the minister knows what's best for his country, his world. The doctor gripped his lapels as he gazed back piously at Mr. Flowers. I uh, hope that these people are not being coerced into this deal. You, you know what the law would make of that. Huh? It's all above board and according to law. You've read every line of the contract. It's an entirely fair trade, isn't it, Minister? The Minister admitted that yes, it was, bowing his head in submission. The Doctor considered. Your contract, uh, not with this man, but his government? Ministers come and go, but the country needs our investment. But it's monstrous. You're selling the people you're meant to represent. The Minister was keen to explain that each unit, each human being, had food and water and lodging, with set rest periods and days off, based on a 50-hour week. He means many of them do better than they would working on the Earth. The Doctor smiled. Perhaps you need a program of social reforms. <laughs> doctor, you're not from this planet. It's got nothing to do with you. The Doctor grinned a wolfish grin. Then I've no interest of my own. I'm an independent third party. He turned to the Minister. It's true, the contract is binding in galactic law so long as it's been signed by the local legitimate government without undue force or coercion. The government need the money and they have a booming population. So as long as units are treated fairly, no one can object. He stepped round us to the series of columns I'd seen earlier around the Transmat relay. With his usual fascination for any machine, the doctor poked and prodded the controls, holding one finger up to his lips as he made some calculations in his head. This thing's been uh, wired up to minimise the stress of transfer. It might merely tickle a bit. And as they said, those sold may do better than those who remain. He turned to the minister and patted his arm, congratulating him on this fine work. A very neat arrangement. Very neat. Oliver and I stared in wonder. He's on their side too. He's selling us out. It isn't jolly well fair. That won't do any good. But Mr. Flowers was wrong. Oliver's voice echoed through the exchange, and some of the traders looked round. What's happening? They're looking right at me. It's the conditioning. 
They know you. But Mr. Flowers made them forget us. We were never here, and neither were the aliens. That's why everyone's back at work. So they see me, and they don't see me. No wonder they look so confused. The traders looked worse than confused. Their eyes bulged as they stared at Oliver. Their mouths hung open, their bottom lips trembling. One let out a terrible howl. The traders looked round, confused. They looked right through Oliver and me, but they were looking for whatever the howling man had seen. And slowly, one by one, they started to notice the fulgurites. Soon, they were all pointing and trembling at us, all of them in such pain. It hurts them to see us. There's a loop in the conditioning. It's churning round and round, eating them up. I don't know what to do. It's going to kill them. As the laser blast burst above their heads, the crowd of men in suits all slumped where they stood. Their heads dropped forward. Their bodies crumpled, though they remained on their feet. All around us, perhaps a thousand men in suits, all suddenly standing asleep. Satisfied, Flowers turned to Oliver. The traders are rarely a nuisance. I'm curious, Mr. Harper, why you're not like the others. He's just smarter than they are. It doesn't work like that. It can happen with trauma or a sudden shock. You came to see me earlier. Something about your mother? Oliver didn't respond. There was something about the way he stared back at Mr. Flowers, refusing to give anything away. No matter. But the company is entitled to seek compensation where an employee breaches contract. So we'll add you both to the next consignment. It's the least you can do to reimburse us. And since time is money... He gestured to one of the Fulgurites, who joined the Doctor at the controls of the Transmat machine. I turned to Oliver. I'd insisted that he came back here with the Minister when he'd been anxious to get away. You're going to miss that urgent appointment. Banged up one way or another. Maybe it's better this way. Doctor, you can't go along with this. He smiled sadly. Ah, it's the law, my boy. I can't interfere. The decision's not mine to make. He's right. It's all in the contract. But I wouldn't accept that. I let the Fulgurite holding me prod me forward, then rolled round and free of his grip. He'd barely realised what I'd done when I got in the perfect right hook. The mushroom head was cold and soft to the touch. The Fulgurite fell back and I turned and... The first shot from his umbrella hit me full in the chest and suddenly I couldn't move. The second blast struck Oliver. I stood, stunned, disbelieving. But still the doctor would not meet my gaze. Instead, he nodded at all the men in suits, sleeping where they stood. And, uh, what of uh, these people? Aren't they more valuable as traders? The minister shook his head. The traders, he explained, had broken their conditioning. They couldn't carry on as they were. The doctor considered. Hmm, perhaps you and Flowers should give them the choice. Some may wish to continue in their contracts despite knowing what they know. Hmm? And why would we do that? Because it would be fair. They'd be working by their own volition, hmm? not under false pretenses. The minister seemed to agree. Mr. Flowers addressed the floor. The traders had been paralyzed, but like me, every one of them remained conscious. You heard what the man said. You understand what's now at stake? Those who so wish can continue in their contracts and will carry on trading. I will remove the paralysis from you, and those who are squeamish about what we sell may simply raise their hands. Frozen where I stood, I could only watch in horror as no one raised their hands. No, at the back there, there was one. No, two. Slowly, tentative hands were raised across the hall, perhaps a quarter of the traders, but definitely no more. Doctor... I think you've just saved me a considerable amount in recruitment and training. The doctor didn't seem to share Mr. Flower's pleasure. He gripped his lapels and looked at the minister sternly. You, sir, are the one who decides this. The minister couldn't hold the doctor's gaze. 
he looked quickly round at me and Oliver and all the traders who had their hands raised. Then he gave Mr. Flowers the instruction to transfer the stock. Across the hall there were plumes of light as each unit of stock was transported. It dazzled the eyes, but I could not blink. I could not look away. Well, Doctor, a neat bit of dealing. I think I should buy you lunch. But the Doctor didn't answer. He was watching the people vanishing from the floor, a steely expression on his face. I think the Minister spotted it first, and then so did Mr. Flowers. But it's not taking the ones who raise their hands. It's taking the wrong ones. That was a vulgarite. That was one of my men. You're taking the wrong one. And he was gone. The doctor smiled sadly. The look on the minister's face was awful as he realized what had been done. He started to beg, to cry out to the doctor. It didn't do him any good. And then there was only me and the doctor and Oliver and less than one quarter of the traders, the ones who'd raised their hands. I still don't know what to make of it, those people. They, they were just ordinary men. What if I'd been on the floor? Would I have raised my hand, offered myself as a slave, rather than offer myself as a dealer? The coldness in the doctor's eyes, the same look of triumph that I'd seen on Kemble when he'd destroyed the Daleks, despite all the friends we'd lost. Perhaps because of the friends we'd lost. A line in the sand. He protested, of course, as we made our way back to the TARDIS. It hadn't been his choice at all. Those who had been taken had signed a contract that spelled out the terms and conditions. I read that contract of theirs. Mr. Flowers was uh, right about something. Fungibility, it said. One unit was as good as another. Hmm? So long as it had the minister's consent. But you did something. You, you must have. We'd escaped before the authorities arrived asking awkward questions. Oliver had offered to show us the way back to Totter's Lane. At the time, I didn't think anything of it, but he was keen we avoided the police. The doctor sighed. It seemed a little unfair that he decided for everyone else, so when they showed me that machine of theirs, I asked it to check each unit had given its consent. That's all. But they hadn't given their consent. They'd only... Oh... By being under contract, they agreed to all the terms. The doctor nodded sadly. They sold their souls to commerce. I merely called in the debt. But that won't stop the trade. It's been happening for centuries. The doctor smiled. He deliberately had us lure the minister into his trap. He planned this from the beginning. The minister was sold down the river. That might make his colleagues stop to think, hmm? You're not saying anything, Stephen? I shrugged. I don't know what to say. For a moment I thought you were letting them sell me. The doctor reached out for my arm. We've had too much taken from us already. And here were these people selling everyone else. Think of all those who've been taken... Think of their families and friends always wondering what happened, never knowing, never having peace. I still didn't like it. I told him so. The doctor sighed. No. Neither do I. He pushed open the gates of the scrap merchant at 76 Totters Lane, where the targets waited. But doctor, we were going to see Ian and Barbara. The doctor stopped, the key already up to the door. For a moment I thought he'd changed his mind. We can't go back. We have to keep moving on. Instead of old friends, I should say we've made a new one. Oh. Oliver, are you... The doctor said I could come along. You don't object, do you? Why would I object? Anyway... 
the doctor chooses. Oh, uh, yeah, it uh, takes a bit of getting used to in here. The old man believed my story that I had to get away. Well, it wasn't exactly a lie. My old life was over. I could never come back. Not now the police were waiting. Just so long as Stephen and the doctor never stumbled on my secret. Whoa!